Let's look in the Bible to find a job description for a bishop or a deacon. Exactly who has what responsibility? There are certainly hints, but the Bible is actually pretty vague and unclear about the specifics. So, Christians have developed many different ways of organizing themselves into churches. And they fall into three broad views of church government that we're going to look at today on the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. Hey there, you are listening to Season 1 of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I would like to make a Season 2, but I'm not sure. I'm going to pay attention to three things to decide if there's going to be another season. Downloads, feedback, and money. You can encourage Season 2 quicker if you'll do these two things. First, rate and review the podcast on your podcast player. It helps people find the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. And then number two, send me an email with encouragement, corrections, suggestions for a new topic, or whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. Church government refers to the organizational structure and leadership roles within a Christian community. Throughout history, different Christian traditions have developed varying views on how the church should be governed. These views are shaped by interpretations of biblical texts, theological principles, historical practices, and cultural considerations. There are three primary Christian views of church government, Episcopal, Presbyterian, and Congregational. Now, they each have various permutations and specific variations, but today we're going to consider these three broad categories. So first, the Episcopal Church government. The Episcopal Church government is characterized by a hierarchical structure with centralized authority. The term Episcopal refers to the role of bishops, who hold significant power and oversee multiple local churches or dioceses. This form of church government can be traced back to the early Christianity and has strong roots in the Roman Catholic Church. A single person generally holds the final power at each level, so a particular priest governs the church, a particular bishop governs all the churches in a region, a particular archbishop governs all the bishops in his region, and so on. The Anglican, Episcopal churches, along with all the Orthodox churches, Methodists and Lutheran churches tend to use a modified form of this Episcopal church government. It can be traced to the early church's practice of appointing bishops as overseers of local Christian communities. This hierarchical structure became more formalized as the church grew in size and influence after the apostles all died and time went on. By the 2nd and 3rd centuries, the office of the bishop had become more established and regional councils further solidified the role of bishops in overseeing theological matters and church discipline. The Bible refers to bishops, which is often translated overseer, but we should not think of what the Bible says as a bishop as the same thing as the office of bishop today. It really has been transformed. Nonetheless, it does seem to be, in the Bible, a position of real significant influence and authority. And clearly, the early church operated this way. In the Episcopal Church government, bishops hold the highest authority, and there are respon- they are responsible for ordaining and overseeing clergy, administering sacraments, and ensuring the unity and doctrinal orthodoxy 
of all those under their care. Episcopal churches often emphasize apostolic succession, the belief that bishops can trace their authority back to the original apostles through the laying on of hands in a continuous line of succession. Episcopal churches are often organized into dioceses, with each diocese being overseen by a bishop. This hierarchical structure provides clear lines of authority and accountability. Episcopal churches may hold synods or councils, bringing together bishops and other clergy to address theological, administrative, and disciplinary matters affecting the entire church. Okay, that's the Episcopal form of government. Let's move on to the Presbyterian form of government. Presbyterian church government is characterized by a representative system in which elders play a central role in decision-making. They are elected by the congregation. The term Presbyterian is derived from the Greek word presbyterios, meaning elder. And this form of church government emerged during the Protestant Reformation and is prevalent among Presbyterian, Reformed, and some other Anglican denominations. In this form of government, there is a group of people at each level. It is the group of elders that are the ultimate authority in the church. And each church is responsible to a larger body of elders that together oversee a region of churches. And there can be a higher level that oversee many regions. But at each level, the ultimate authority is not in a single person, but in a group of people, each with a single vote. Presbyterian church government can be traced back to the teachings of John Calvin, a prominent reformer in the 16th century. He emphasized the importance of biblical eldership and sought to establish a more democratic and accountable church structure. The Scottish reformer John Knox further developed these ideas, helping to shape the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. In Presbyterian Church government, elders play this vital role in decision-making and spiritual oversight. They are elected representatives of the congregation, serving alongside the ministers for the governance of the church. The churches are organized into sessions, which consist of ministers and ruling elders from the congregation. And each church has one session, and that session rules the church. All the elders and ministers from a particular region of churches form a presbytery, providing mutual accountability and support among the churches. And at the highest level, Presbyterian churches often have a general assembly, which brings together representatives from presbyteries to address broader issues affecting the entire denomination. Presbyterian churches emphasize connectionalism, fostering interdependence, and collaboration among congregations and leaders at various levels in the church. Okay, let's move on to our third form of church government, and that is congregational. Congregational church government is characterized by local autonomy and a completely democratic approach to decision-making. In this system, each local congregation is self-governing and is self-responsible for its own affairs. This form of church government emerged during the Puritan movement in England and is prevalent in many independent and Baptist churches today. As the name suggests, the ultimate authority rests with the entire congregation, and everyone in the congregation gets an equal vote. Further, the Congregationalist churches will often associate with each other for mutual benefit, but they always reserve the right to their own decisions. Each individual church answers only to God and has no official accountability or responsibility to any other authority. 
Important decisions within the church are typically made through congregational meetings where members gather to discuss and vote on various issues. While congregational churches value the participation of the congregation in decision-making, they also recognize the role of pastoral leadership in guiding and shepherding the community. The pastor receives authority from the congregation and is not authorized by any person or institution outside the individual local church. The congregation can give the pastor certain responsibilities and authority, but the congregation can then take those responsibilities or authorities back at any time as well. So let's talk about some of the practical limitations of each of these forms of government. Episcopal churches are subject to the whims of a bad priest, a bad bishop, a bad pope. And there certainly are uh, bad people that have occupied those offices. However, uh, a good person in those leadership positions can quickly make a huge difference in a positive way for Episcopal churches as well. Presbyterian churches are perhaps the slowest moving of the three kinds because changes often get bogged down in committee, and everyone must agree or at least consent across large areas, which can be both good and bad at times as well. Congregationalists can move quickly, and they are not as easily subjected to a bad authoritarian leader, but since everyone gets a vote, decisions are made, at least in part, by fools the poorly informed, the confused, and the easily persuadable. And since there is no oversight, they can easily be led astray by forceful and attractive leaders. If you've ever seen the monorail episode of The Simpsons, you know what happens when a slick talker comes into town and leads the congregation astray. One final note. Megachurches tend to be either Presbyterian or Congregational in theory, But in practice, the megachurch pastor has so much social influence, loyalty, and devotion that he practically rules like an unchecked bishop in the church. And we've seen many of these leaders get into big trouble this way recently. None of these forms of church government are spelled out clearly in the Bible, and each of them has a good biblical argument for it. I think the Presbyterians have the best biblical case Episcopalians have the best historical case, and the Congregationalists have the best theological case. Whichever sort of church you attend, I hope you will lead like a servant and serve your leaders with joy. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I would love to make season two, but I need to make sure that it is worthwhile. So I'm paying attention to three things, downloads, feedback, and money. It costs money to publish a podcast and not a small amount of work. Now, if you'll give me just $5 once, I'll give you your own private podcast link that will have all the episodes from season one without any advertising, plus 10 extra bonus episodes. At various levels, you'll also get a lot of other cool stuff. Now, I'm not looking for a subscription, just a one-time purchase that will help me to know that this podcast has been helpful and that you would like me to make another season. Look for the show notes of this episode to find the link to give money. Podcasts are getting gobbled up by big corporations and conglomerates. Independent podcasters like me need your support. Thanks so much.